This is Abby Henry, and you are listening to my podcast, Canton Says Gay Rights. This podcast is my capstone to graduate from American University with a Bachelor of Arts in Sociology and Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies. I've interviewed seven people who either grew up in Canton or currently live in the Canton area about gay life in Canton. My capstone and this podcast is about LGBTQ plus life in Canton, Ohio. We will be focusing on the existence of gay bars in Canton and the state of the current gay bar work. The main question we are looking to answer is where do LGBTQ plus folks in Canton find community with each other? And is work that space for people? Why is that? Or why not? Before we get into it, let me introduce my co-host, Kirsten Marks. She is a student at Emory University studying economics and women's gender and sexuality studies. Her family has lived in Canton for generations. Say hi, Kirsten. Hi, I'm Kirsten. Thanks for having me. Um, I just recently moved back to Canton and getting back into queer culture here. So this is a great project to work with Abby on. So excited to get into it. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here. First, we're going to start out with a little history about work, which is spelled W-E-R-C. Work is currently the only gay bar in Canton, Ohio. Work was previously crew, C-R-E-W. They just flipped the name um, backwards, but recently they went through rebranding, which is why it's not called work. And you'll hear more about that in the interviews. In Canton, work is located on Cherry Avenue Northeast, just on the edge of Cherry Avenue Southeast, which has a rich history. And I think it's important to go over that history real quick. According to Charita Gaucher of the Canton Repository, for decades, the 13 blocks that comprise Cherry Avenue Southeast were a hub of the city's Black-owned businesses. Today, virtually nothing remains of the neighborhood, which was demolished to make way for an overpass in the 1970s. Reading this CanRep article honestly brought a smile to my face. Cherry Avenue Southeast sounds more lively than the entire Canton city I know today. This might be due to the fact that Canton used to be a thriving city when it was an industrial powerhouse, but now deindustrialization has made Canton desolate and impoverished. I'm from Jackson Township, which is anywhere between 5 and 15 minutes away from Canton. Jackson Township is known for being a rich white suburb that white people moved to when white flight was taking place in the 50s. Despite being more privileged, Jackson is similar to Canton in that they are both incredibly conservative. The county we are both in, Stark County, consistently votes red in presidential elections. In my experience, Stark County has not been a very aff- affirming place to grow up as a bisexual woman. None of my friends or I came out until we went away to college, but I wanted to hear from other folks who grew up in this area about their experiences growing up here. So I asked a couple of people what it was like growing up in Canton as a queer person, and if they came out, what was that experience like? So now you'll hear from some of my interviewees. <laughs> This is Lauren, who is 31 and uses she, her pronouns. Um, so it was really rough for me. <laughs> um, so when I came out, I was, well, I, I guess I just, I found out that I was gay or I liked girls. There was a girl that I worked with at Wendy's when I was like, mm, I think like 17. And I had a boyfriend at the time. So I really liked her. Um, I was kind of forced out of the closet by a cousin who was 17 and uh, had gotten a girl pregnant. (laughs) So the family was kind of focused on him. (laughs) And so he thought, well, I saw this picture of my cousin kissing this girl on 
you know, my space. And so I'm just going to tell everyone about it. So <laughs> I kind of got up or saw the closet at like 17 and a half and it was really, really bad. Um, I had a really bad time at Central. Kids made fun of me. Um, my parents kicked me out right before I turned 18 because um, they had forbidden me to see my girlfriend ever again. And so it would, I had a very bad experience when I first came out. So yeah. um, it was hard. I mean, the kids at school weren't nice. You know, we played like powder puff football and the boys would make jokes to like the girl that um, was like the quarterback, like, oh, I bet Lauren likes putting her hands between your legs. And I lost a lot of friends and the friends that I was close friends with and stayed friends with me. A lot of the boy, like the dickhead boys at school would like tease them and say like, oh, are you having sex with Lauren? You know what I mean? Just things like that. So it was really hard for me when I first came out. Um, now it's gotten, I mean, better. Um, you know, my family now is okay with it. My fiance and I just got engaged. Um, so it's a little bit better now, but then it was, it was really hard. This is Jeremiah, who is 23 and uses he, him, and they, them pronouns. So I came out when I was 13, and I would say that uh, in Clinton, there are certain areas that care more, um, and there are certain areas that don't care as much. Definitely areas that you do feel like unsafe. There are times that you feel unsafe. Um, and when I went into high school um, at Perry, it was definitely not well received. And then when I had, um, when I was living visibly gender queer, um, my life was frequently in danger. Like actually put in real situations where someone was trying to like kill me. Yeah. Wow, that's scary. Is that why you not to mention, like tons of like just little petty assaults? Yeah. Um, tons of verbal harassment. Tons of harassment at home. Sometimes they would try to get me into legal trouble. I had like lockers broken into, stuff defiled. Like it was pretty intense. My high school experience. Oh wow. This is Skylark. She uses she, her pronouns, and is 37. Gotcha. Um, so I was homeschooled by very conservative evangelical Christian parents, and their primary motivation in homeschooling me and my four sisters was to keep us away from the evil bad world. Um, so I didn't even come out to myself until I was in my mid-20s. This is Joel, who is 46 and uses he, him pronouns. Well, um, my grandmother was a teacher here in our village for 50 years. And uh, <clears throat> growing up here was very white. Yeah. Very <laughs> religious. <laughs> um, it's still a pretty religious community. Um, but I came out at age 12. My grandmother actually told me when I was 10, she said, you like boys, don't you? I said, yes. And when I was 12, I came out. Um, my grandmother was very supportive. My mother said, it's just a phase. And I'd been seeing a psychiatrist since I was four anyways for ADHD. So um, it wasn't difficult at all for me. Um, 
I was who I was, and I didn't hide it. This is Draven, who is 25 years old and uses he, him pronouns. So I didn't come out until I was 18, and I came out as bi. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, of course, this was like right before getting kicked out of my parents' house. Um, so they were like, no, nah, it's just a phase. You know, you're not really bi. Um, so I didn't get kicked out directly because of being queer, but... I mean, my parents were incredibly homophobic and conservative and Catholic, so it didn't help. Yeah. So now that we heard these clips, let's chat about them a little. What did you think, Kirsten? I thought um, a lot of them was pretty accurate, too. I guess growing up LGBT here in Canton, uh, you know, I heard a lot of common was like growing up religious. And I also grew up religious. It seems in Canton, like you're not um, less, you're not more than a mile away from a church. Like there is a church on every block. And I know um, where I grew up, it was pretty Catholic. And that was one of the things that caused me to not question sexuality until I was able to leave. So um, with Jeremiah's coming out experience, I actually went to high school with him. So I actually witnessed a lot of things he went through. So he did get pretty harassed, um, a lot of derogatory slurs and things like that. Uh, there were a couple times he did get beat up. <laughs> so, but he started his own GSA. So that was kind of cool, but um, it actually got battled out with them starting a Bible study group at our school in direct response to it. Which I asked Jeremiah about him starting a GSA and we talked about it a little. And it's funny because when he told me that story, it immediately made me think of Jackson because that's exactly what happened in my high school as well. We had a gay straight alliance start my senior year. And in response, a, a couple of white guys started um, a family values club. So it's crazy that like in the same county, like literally 10 minutes apart, the same thing happened just years apart. I guess it's like, it makes sense because that's the culture here. I mean, I didn't grow up religious, so I don't have a lot of those same experiences, but I I still grew up in you know this very religious setting and not being religious really like highlighted to me how religious our area was because every time I would talk to a friend about what I was doing over the weekend like they would ask me why I wasn't going to church or why I didn't pray before I ate and things like that um so I feel like that was still a factor for me even though I didn't grow up religious I was still around it all the time yeah. And from people I know, I felt like the common experience wasn't from their families were religious. And if it wasn't outward homophobia, it was more like, it's okay as long as you are. And it was, you know, I have a lot of family friends who are older than me who will still not admit or tell people outwardly that they're gay or lesbian, but have been living with their partner for years now. So. It's just, it's okay as long as that you don't bother people with it. Yeah, as long as you don't talk about it. All right, well, let's 
move on to our next theme. So next, I wanted to know how people in Canton find community with other LGBTQ plus folks. For me, I've always struggled to meet other queer people here. It just so happened that my friends from high school also all ended up being queer. But until I moved back here this summer, I had rarely met queer people in Canton. And the queer people I have met in Canton since I moved back have been through protesting, which is not a normal affair in Canton. So let's hear from my interviewees on how they find community with other queer folks in Canton. This is Austin, who uses he, him pronouns. The short answer, well, there is no short answer, (laughs) but I, so I, like faith and spirituality is a big part of my life, and I've really tried to integrate that with my queerness. Um, I identify as, as bi or pan, either one, but I usually I usually go with bi and or queer, which is a little bit more ambiguous for people and seems to fit better for me. Um, I, um, I struggled within faith community for years um, because just not only not feeling like I didn't belong, but that I didn't have a place um, to, to fully be who I was, but also to, I was always looked at as a project or something rather than taking part in community. So um, I actually, within the last four years, three or four years, I've started attending um, New Vision, uh, UCC, uh, which is up on market, and that sort of changed the whole dynamic and having to do with faith. And so there's um, several trans women who attend there. Uh, the pastor, who is a woman, is also married to a woman. And so it's just, like, finally I feel like I'm not hiding um, and not feeling like I need to hide, that I can bring my full self into my faith community. So that's been probably the most um, impactful connection. Um, But that's not that, I mean, that's pre-COVID, that's once a week. Yeah. (laughs) See everybody. And so it's not like a social connection. So um, I had been connected online. Um, So I'm um, married and my partner is a woman so that brings a whole dynamic that why do you actually need to come out if you're already married to a woman and you can you can present as heteronormative right and for me it felt as if i could be authentic and bring my full self to what i was doing and also i have um friends a friend in particular in amish country in Berlin, Millersburg area, who I think I was the only person he had come out to, and he actually committed suicide. So I, it was, that was devastating for me. So I wanted to be out in a way that um, was visible and let people know that even if they can't come out, that there is somebody who is, who is out and navigating this world in a way that um, um, isn't. I don't know, just to give hope to people and also a listening ear. So my DMs after I came out, I came out 
interestingly enough, about a year and a half ago. So I'm, I have not been out that long. Right. Um, so a lot of my interactions with other queer folks was online. And actually, that's where my first local connection um, happened. I just put it out there. I said, does anybody live in the Canton, Ohio area? And it turned out there was somebody who did, another bi man. And I was just, I was particularly at that point interested in the bi experience because I know there's gay culture and then straight culture. I knew all about that. But I was wondering how people navigated being bi and in their relationships or, or whatever. Just, um, so... So I actually, I met up with um, Mux Wicks, <laughs> um, met up with um, this guy, and it was really, a, it was a good connection. I mean, he was, he was actually quite a bit older than me, but it was, it was a space where I could just, I felt like, wow, I could just be myself. And, and he actually had a faith background as well, so he was interpreting it through that lens, and I I felt like, oh, some people do actually make sense of this, and it's not this, um, yeah, it's not this, I'm not doomed to this whole lifelong, um, I don't know. I felt very anonymous as, as a, a bi man, particularly here, um, because, yeah, I there are very few, like spaces that are okay this is just for lgbtq folks yeah um but i have found very welcoming spaces uh, that um i mean places like the oracle or Yeah, like I have a uh, small business group, and even though not everybody's like affirming in there, there's enough people that are like, okay, we'll we'll roll with this. <laughs> yeah. You want to be or whatever, um, just don't wave a rainbow in my face or anything. <laughs> um, I I find that as I become more comfortable being out and with who I am and explaining that to people, that even if people disagree, they don't really, you can't argue with who somebody is. Right. And so the, because I don't feel the need to open a Bible and say, this is why I am the way I am or whatever, or argue from the Bible or some other um, argument that people have, that's usually where people go because that's the world I grew up in. Right. <laughs> um, they're very concerned about saving my soul from hell. Um, so yeah, so there's yeah, so there's those spaces. Um, as um, I've also gotten involved in the Mankind Project, and it's a group of men. And there's a number from Canton area, but we actually meet in Akron. And like within the Christian world, I've been involved with men's movements before that were very toxic, and particularly if you were a closeted queer man, it just, it was the wrong place. It was like dumping shame on top of you and trying to fit you into this heteronormative American version of what a man is. Yeah. So um, in this Mankind Project, I they have like, uh, they base it on a hero's journey and, and um, you have some of the... Um, they have a 
weekend in north northwestern Ohio where um, it's almost like an initiation of sorts, but it's more more a training and learning how how other people are navigating life. But what happened there for me was that some of the leadership, uh, one of the leaders was a bi man, and for me, that just to actually see myself represented in that type of role as someone who's impacting other people in a way that's powerful and bringing about positive change um, in their in the world in some way or other showing up as a queer person and unapologetically impacting the world and in the midwest of all things <laughs> yeah so, that sounds awesome uh, so yeah i I, that was powerful for me because it was, it was in that space that I just was able to, to say, it was after that weekend actually that I came out because I finally felt like, okay, I could be who I am. It doesn't mean it's the end of my relationship. It just means that I'm being honest with myself. And, and so that group of men has continued to be a resource, not only not only locally, but they have, I mean, it's, it's a national or international network of people. Um, I just attended a Zoom call with, it was all brown men of, uh, brown men from either the Middle East or Pan, Pan-Asia, talking about their experiences in the States and whether it's racism. And then there were, there was a, they held space for brown men who are LGBTQ to talk about their their intersectional experience, um, and so, so I've had to, I have had to source online to connect. Um, but I think I think queer people tend to find each other, <laughs> and so for me, I meet up with people for a walk uh, at Stadium Park, or I um, I do uh, qigong at you know group. Qigong at a place and um, other men who are out, I just connect with, and um, it's kind of strange for me because I feel like a a baby in some sorts because I haven't been out that long, and, and a lot of the men my age. Well, I should say that men my age that are out are much at a much different place. Like most of them have been out for a very long time, um, and then. There's others who are very closeted, particularly if they grew up in a religious setting. They they just can't imagine coming out, um, whether it has to do with their employment, or they work in a church, they're in ministry, or it's it's incredible how many um, closeted bi and queer men there are in that. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, a, it was weird to me. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. This is Bobby, who is 28 and uses he, him, and they, them pronouns. So just like just about anywhere else in the world, uh, one of the places that I went was, um, it's not there anymore. And how old are you? I'm 21. You're 21, so you might have experience, but seeing as you are 21, uh, the bar was called Crew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And that's where I had met quite a few friends. That's where I entered the drag scene. Um, and yeah, I met and became, I got adopted into a drag family and kind of made my family. So crew was the major place to go. Um, the other major place to go was honestly first Fridays, um, in downtown Canton, um, first Friday and then bopping around in the arts district specifically, um, because that's where, you know, you could, you couldn't openly show that you were gay. Like I couldn't walk down the street holding my boyfriend's hand, but you could openly dress up like your authentic, you could dress like your authentic self. And everyone just thought you were an artist. Like that's just what you were. And especially if you're standing around one of the arts exhibits, like I can't tell you how many times people would ask me, Oh, you did a wonderful job. And I'm just like, <laughs> Oh, thanks. <laughs> and I'm just thinking in my head, I said, well, you know, it says Anna on the artwork, but I totally look like an Anna. Sure. <laughs> cool. Because you didn't read that. You just assumed it was me. So um, there was a lot of that. So it, it was that. Um, yeah, those are those are honestly when when I was coming out, those were the only safe places. Um, first Friday there, there was a, there, um, I actually, there was so few gay places that a large majority of all of Canton's gay population, um, went, was either at crew or we were all up in Akron because Akron is so close to us. Yeah. Um, and that's actually where I ended up, um, started performing as Joy. I've been, if I want to, like, meet, I guess if I wanted to meet other people, you know, I've gone to the Interbell, um, in Akron, which is another, you know, yeah. gay bar. But, um, I've not been to other ones. There's other ones like Tear, I don't know if it's Tear Easy or Tear Easy, I don't know how to even say it. There's ones <laughs> like that. I've never actually been there. Um, I think, like, sometimes... I can kind of tell, you know, when people are gay, and I've seen them out. Like, there's a lot, like the places where you find like hipsters. I yeah. guess you'd also find LGBT people. Um, so like uh, downtown at like Bugswigs, right? You know, places like that. Um, my ex, one of my exes, he um, ended up coming out as trans. So when him and I were together, um, there was like a, it was kind of like a support group for trans people in the area. And they would meet at, um, I forget what it's called. They would meet at uh, the downtown library, mm -hmm. like on market. And then sometimes they would go like once a month, they would include like the meetings at the library or more so for the people that were trans. And then once a month or twice a month, they would meet at uh, Bugswigs. And it was for like, you know, family friends as well or children. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was more open. So I went to one of those one time and that was at Bugswigs. And so... Um, he ended up kind of like getting people's numbers and exchanging numbers, you know what I mean? And things like that. Yeah. Um, there. So that's another place other yeah. than like uh, places. I don't really know that there's anything in this area, um, right now, you know? Um, so I know that the Oracle, 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 yeah. they've done a lot of like LGBT, like they'll do a lot of like, um, drag nights and mm -hmm. stuff. 
So when work started to kind of, well, when crew closed before work was opened, a lot of people that I know, like in the LGBT community, were going there. Um, I've been there. I was never, I've never been there for a drag show, but I was there for like a 90s night and stuff. And it was, it was like, in my opinion, it was kind of like a hipster bar. You know what I mean? And so people go there. I think another place that I would say is it's not a gay bar, but it's fairly LGBT friendly is uh, like Busbin. Yeah. I've, yeah, I've been to Busbin. I mean, places like that are really, um, I think the downtown area in general, it's kind of like, you know, it's up and coming and people will go to like first Friday and they'll, you know, pop at one of the bars. And I think they, the downtown um, area in general, downtown Canton is trying to be more, you know what I mean? Like yeah. more open and LGBT friendly. Um, I would never go. I mean, not that I would never go there in general, but I would never, I would expect that if I went to a place like, um, I don't know, the M bar or something like that, that I would experience possibly, you know what I mean? Some type of like people, you know, whispering or saying something. Um, which is why I just personally avoid places like that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, like, I, like I think the younger LGBT community, you know, they don't have crew and they may never have had that. So they just make do with what they have. Yeah. Meeting other gay people is difficult. Now I'm in AA and I belong to a, um, LGBT AA group, um, and that's, that's really helpful. I've made friends there. But, yeah, for the most part, Canton is still closed off. Um, they don't offer that many programs. They don't offer that many activities for LGBT. Well, there is no place to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have HIV, so I have um, support groups through um, Canton through Equitas Health, and there I've met other gay men. Um, and through that, I've met other um, gay men around the area through card games and that. But unless you go to, like, a bar, it's hard to meet people here. So we have work downtown. That's the designated gay bar. Um, I'll occasionally go down there, although... Um, I generally prefer either, uh, I prefer the drag shows at Busbin. Um, I also have, through being in, like, the drag scene and the, the, the queer community, I found other, um, friends that I could just talk to, and then Facebook has been a big part of it, too. Yeah. Connecting with people. Yeah. Honestly, I've met a whole lot of friends and people through, like, protesting and stuff. Yeah. So, that's, that's been really interesting. Well, um... Historically, for me, that's been um, the poetry scene and my church. Um, I'm part of New Vision United Church of Christ, which was created about 20 years ago. I've been involved for 10 and a half years. Um, but it was formed specifically because there were uh, LGBTQ folks at a different church who were feeling very excluded like they were second-class citizens and not fully welcome in the life of that community, and they decided to break off and have a church that was specifically queer-affirming. So um, I would say about half of the folks who are there now are cishet folks, and the other half are um, queer in their orientation or their gender or some combination thereof. And although right now we are still meeting on Zoom because a lot of us are um, 
uh, immunocompromised or taking care of people who are. It's still like um, my church is very much a huge part of feeling like me as a queer person, especially as a queer person of faith, that it makes sense and it's, it's real and valid in the world. I didn't even think there was, like, a queer-affirming church around here, so that's good to know. Oh, and there's actually others that have become far more affirming since New Vision has been this presence for quite a while. Um, Congregational United Church of Christ, one of our sister churches, um, they installed their first gay pastor on their 100th anniversary. Oh, that's so awesome. Um, and they're located in Plain Township, um, like... Uh, Easton. Oh wow! And then, um, then Grace United Church of Christ at Cleveland Avenue and Twenty Second, sorry, Twenty Third Street. Uh, their pastor is a gay woman who is married to my gay pastor. <laughs> and it was so funny when they were high, or they were interviewing people for um, that position because they actually interviewed my pastor first and told her. Oh, I don't think it's going to be a good fit. You're really, really gay. And then they hired her wife. That's super funny. <laughs> I think what they, what they, what they, I think what they meant was they were looking for somebody who wasn't as much of an extrovert. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. And then like the oh, OCC is now um, having their. Uh, they moved their office to Crossroads Methodist Church, and I don't know if you're aware of this, the Methodist Church overall has been having a lot of friction, debates, and even um, splits because of people fighting over what to do with queer folks. And uh, Crossroads is one of the ones that came down on the queer affirming side, and they have this enormous building. Um, they've been working with various community groups to provide space for them. And that's actually where my friends and I do the Canton Sunday picnic. Yeah, so hearing all of those stories about where, you know, they all find community with other LGBTQ plus people in Canton, it didn't really surprise me the places that that they pointed out, like the Oracle, um, Busbin, Mugswigs, First Friday. Mm you know, anything in the arts district is pretty safe. Yeah. What about you? Did you have any thoughts? Uh, well, you know, I'm only 21. So growing up here, you know, LGBT doesn't have access to the bars unless, you know, you have a fake ID. So Mugswigs was usually the place to go. Uh, and First Friday. I definitely agree. Um, it definitely just seemed, you know, oh, I forget the last guy was talking. Bobby. Bobby. He was talking about how basically they would just think he's an artist. And that was kind of, that is kind of the vibe for Pian that like, okay, we'll tolerate you because, you know, you're artistic. And just to yeah. replace the gay factor with art. Yeah, but I feel like that's mostly downtown Canton, like in the arts district. Because I guess like when I was growing up, I didn't go to Canton that much. So I thought that Canton was just the arts district, which obviously is not true. Like Canton is much bigger than that. 
So, but that's like, you know, they were all citing places in the arts district and not really in the like other parts of Canton. Like, you know, there's the Northeast, the Northwest, the Southeast, the Southwest. So I think that's interesting that they all chose the downtown area as the safe spaces. Well, um, a lot of LGBT community is pretty underground in Canton. Um, even in the townships, there's always like a gay clique. Um, so that's why, you know, meeting people in Canton is so hard because it's basically just connecting with people you already know. And it feels kind of old school to us, those who are Gen Z, with like having to meet people, you actually have to know, go by word of mouth and who you meet at parties and things like that. So um, it's definitely difficult to meet people unless you're already in on the in crowd of how to meet people. So, yeah. And Joel talked about how he went online to meet people. And I feel like that's what a lot of people have to resort to now because there aren't as many spaces as there used to be in Canton um, for queer people to go. But I mean, also there's always only been bars. So you know, now that we have online, that's a new opportunity for people. Yeah. And that's legs they got new owners a couple of years ago. And the whole place, the vibe has changed. So that's, it's not really that same safe space that people would go to and spend hours at. It's just a local coffee shop at this point now, really. Yeah. Now when I go there, it seems like more just business owner or like business people sitting in there doing work. Yeah. Where like people go there to have meetings, but it doesn't seem like people hanging out there and having fun and like chatting with their friends. Yeah, that would be yeah. for that because downtown rent used to be really cheap, especially because you know the apartments are small, and compact. Um, but now they're trying to move in young professionals into the area, so now you'll just see like twenty-nine-year-olds in full-out suits during the day. When in like five, ten years ago, it was, you know, still mostly impoverished part of town. So, yeah, well, now because when, you know, I was moving back, I was looking at apartments. Most of the apartments are over $600 a month, which is expensive for Canton. Vintage flops are very good in downtown now. Yeah, the old buildings just repurposed for apartments. And houses as apartments, that kind of thing. Well, we got gentrification. We got the online scene and, you know, not enough spaces that aren't bars. Those are a couple of key themes that we see in people trying to find community here. So, you know, the only official queer space in Canton is work, the gay bar that we've been talking about. I've been to work a couple of times, and from my experience, it has been very white, cis, gay, men-centered. I rarely meet women there, and when I do, they're either much older than me or they're straight. Since my own experience has been pretty limited and disappointing, I wanted to hear from more people on their experiences on work slash crew. It was I feel very lucky to have worked at the crew. I feel like I got to witness the end of an era. Um, there was this sort of like movement that was happening while I was 21. Like it pretty much started maybe a 
year before I was 21. So, like, when I was 20, straight bars started having drag shows. And that was, like, the final nail in the coffin to the small-town gay bar. Um, because no longer did you need to go to the seedy part of town to the tiny little hole-in-the-wall place that, you know, the people that work there could be rude sometimes. Yeah. You know? And um, it didn't, we couldn't compete with the straight bars anymore because the thing that it offered, we could get anywhere else now. Uh, well, in a way. So I feel like the small town gay bar offered like a pure concentrated form of the gay community and it also like allowed for like a complete open space. But we also have an open space anywhere else now too. Like we have visibility. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what? that plus the hookup apps, we really didn't need the gay bars anymore or they weren't popular yeah. anymore. Um, and so they just kind of died. And like it was dead all the time. There was barely ever anyone there. <clears throat> yeah, and did you see like a tip like was there like a typical um, like client kind of that came in there, or did you see like a diversity of people that came in there? Um, I would say it was mostly white, blue collar, middle to late aged people. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely yeah. what I've experienced going there. Um, uh, I would say that there were there was also like. Um, about 15-20% was like younger black kids from the neighborhood, you know, like people that were from anywhere from like 19 to 35. Yeah. And have a good time. What do you think of the rebranding of Crew? Um, I think it's, I mean, after everything that happened in a small town, drama that, that is that, that big, that you can't really come back from it. Like, everybody knows about it. No one wants to touch it. It's tainted. Like, putting the letters backwards I'm gonna save you from that like I don't know yeah so what drama are you there was there drama surrounding it closing like is that why it ended up closing originally um Stan wasn't making enough money so she was exhausted because he works a gay job at a steel plant and so um Basically, what ended up happening is that he sold it, but he was emotionally attached to it, so he sold it through a land contract, and the nice couple that bought it through a land contract started missing their payments because they weren't making any money either, and um, 
because the location is off. If they wanted like do anything, they would have to move it directly next to all of the straight bars. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, I think there's a disconnect with the older generation that they want to be secluded. They want to be apart. They want like, and that's not the way you should do it. You like, you know, yeah. Well, and if old the old people stop coming, they don't have new people. And that's the best way to do things, I think. Yeah. Uh, It's difficult that way, but it's the best way to get things permanently done. Yeah. Do you think work is like still good? So the people that bought it were laid on their land contracts, and so one of the guys trashed the place, broke the mirror on the wall, smashed all the liquor bottles to the floor. Oh my god. Then committed suicide. Wow. So then and then the people that were behind scan the entire time that weren't really supporting the new establishment uh, or the new management, I guess, uh, still didn't back down after the suicide. So what ended up happening is that it was this very, very, very mishandled clusterfuck of negativity. And um, it was very public and lots of people have lots of very public opinions. And I don't think you can come back from that. So, and the guy's partner kind of had the same idea. So that's why he opened up, oh crap, what was it called for like two months? Snappers. Snappers. He opened up Snappers Strip Club. And I went there once and it was terrible. They had a woman in a robe. And like, there's a desired type for everyone, but I would say that generally she did not have the look to be consumed by the masses for her flesh, if that makes sense. So is it a gay um, strip club? It was a strip club. It was not a gay strip club. It was a straight strip club. Um, and they, the gay guy owned it. Like, he didn't know what he was doing. I think he hired, like, a friend that he knew that used to strip when she was in her 20s or something. And then she was always in a robe, and she just, like, went outside and smoked all the time. She never danced. And there was nobody in there. And there was, like, no music. And it was pretty much just, like, the same people that went to the crew, the same four that would come all the time, like, were in there, too. And they weren't able to make the payments either. So then Stan reabsorbed the crew. And now he's running it. But I really don't think that it's going to be able to survive the maps, COVID, all that drama, the dwindling, you know, small town gay community, like, it's all a lot. Yeah, that is a lot. So, I don't think it's going to survive, no matter how much people are doing, they're going 
dry. I think Stan is very passionate about that place, and I think he will keep it alive like a dog that needs to be put down. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that, like, work is still, um, a good place for like queer people to go who are like looking to find other queer people or would you like suggest other yeah. places like Buzzbin or something yeah, like that? Absolutely. I would say that I met most of the gay community in Canton at the crew. And I think what it does is it allows for you to like be able to ask the question. Like, you know people are gay there. Like, you know you're with your people. If you go to a play bar, you can't, like, just go up to a guy in the Midwest and be like, hey, do you want to go home after that? Like, that's dangerous. Right. So when you go to a gay bar, you know it's not dangerous to be there. You can feel comfortable. Like, you can let your hair down a little bit. In, in the Midwest, that is very important to have that place. Um. No need for that place because that place is everywhere and you don't have to be afraid. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There might be a Proud Boy rally, but then every single other citizen in the city actively denounces that and constantly it just reaffirms their beliefs and their support. So, work has gone through a series of ownership. It was owned by Stanley, and then Stanley sold it to a gentleman named Justin who owned it for, I'd say, about a year, where just about everything that could go wrong did. Uh, the liquor license wasn't transferred over properly. Um, the bar was broken into, and a lot of things were, like, just strewn around. Is this when it was Crew? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Crew 2.0 or whatever. <laughs> um, and then Justin was being bullied so badly in the community and via the internet that he ended up killing himself, and the bar sat vacant for a while. Um, I believe somebody bought it and turned it into a... Uh, a strip club for a while, a nightclub, and then um, like a gentleman's club, and then it transferred back over to Stanley, who I have had drag entertainers and people of color tell me that they, he has, um, at one point he approached a black queen and said, um, I believe he said some slurs, and he said, you black tranny bitch, and all sorts of disgusting shit like that. And uh, that's why I won't host a show there anymore. I was considering working there before I found out about all of this, and I just don't really fuck with it anymore. Um, I can usually find my, my community elsewhere in a place that is not owned by a racist. Yeah, so wow. I, I had my foot down on uh, before hosting yeah. a protest event there. Right. And I was like, absolutely not. So Justin killed himself. Was it because of, like, homophobic people in Canton harassing was, him? Or... It was a lot about the people that knew about the bar, um, that, like, kind of knew what was, like, going on, and, like, that were friends of Stan's. Oh, gotcha. Who were just bullying him, so it was... So other, like, queer people. It was other gay people, yeah. Yeah, wow. And I think that's something in our own community, that, yes, we face it on the outside a whole lot from straight people, although, honestly, most of the catty and bullying bullshit that I've seen has been within our own. Yeah. Whether it's asexual exclusionaries mm -hmm. or uh, TERFs. Like, you know, because uh, it's people that say that, you know, trans women are invading women's spaces or yeah. shouldn't be able to be in lesbian spaces because, you know, that kind of rhetoric. Yeah. So it's a lot of bullying from within the, the community a lot of the times, which 
I think really needs to fucking stop because people are dying over it. And like a, a cis person, a cis head person says something to me, I know to just pay it no mind because I don't care what your opinion of me is. You're not living it. When it's other queer people, it hits a little harder yeah, and a little closer to home. Yeah. yeah. If I was talking to gay men, I would absolutely recommend yeah. work. Um, if I was talking to trans women or lesbians or trans men, even, and that's the thing is like trans men aren't necessarily, like they'll let you in. There's yeah. really no problem, but like it's a great spot for cis white gay men. Mm-hmm. And then they'll also accept trans women. And I'm not sure if that's because of trans misogyny or if they're actually accepting, but you know, um, I personally don't necessarily feel comfortable there. I was roofied there at one point. So oh, I just, wow. I don't know. I try to avoid. They had a ladies' night. Um, at one point, uh, the show was the the show was all drag kings and um, cis queens. Mm-hmm. So like cis women who do drag yeah. as queens. I guess the ways that I would meet people would be like we used to go to the crew all the time in Canton. Yeah. And that was where we used to go. And I think, like, what that made it difficult because there was, like, nowhere else really to go. So whenever you had, like, a bad breakup, you kind of had to, like, avoid the bar for, like, ever. Where you were going to see your ex, you know what I mean? Yeah. With somebody else. So that was that was hard. Um, I mean, I loved the crew. That was my spot to go. I mean, I went there all the time. I know it wasn't, like, you know, the fanciest place or anything. Yeah. Um, but even when the business was going really, really downhill, which would have been shortly before they closed, um, and there was literally like never anybody in the bar, we would still go. I mean, there was a time when my ex, myself, and my two guy friends that are dating, Sean and Anthony, we were literally like the only ones in the bar. And we just played money, you know, put money in the jukebox and, you know, played pool and stuff because for us, it was more to just like, we knew that was a safe space for us to be, you know, my ex, um. He uh, transitioned from female to male, so he was F, F, female to male. And so he didn't feel comfortable a lot of times in other places, like using the bathroom, like the male bathroom. Yeah. So it was just for us, it was just more of like a safe place. We knew we weren't going to get, you know, screwed around with. You know, I knew I wasn't going to get hit on and have to be like, oh, I don't, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm interested. So we, we loved it. Even, you know, like I said, even when they weren't doing well and not a lot of people were coming, which, um, happened there towards the end um we still loved it because that was where we went we knew that if we went there we might run into like acquaintances people that we only see out and catch up rather than you know if we went to another space so actually i moved back for graduate school in 2010 and went to the crew once um one of my co-workers at a store i worked at um him and his wife invited me to go to the crew with her brother-in-law and others. And so I went and really did not have a good time. Um, plus my car window got broken open. Oh no. Um, but yeah. Um, I really haven't been in there since the rebranding. I mean, I heard some, I've heard some different rumors, but I really don't know much of anything about whatever situation is going on there. So, like, you never have, have you ever, like, gone there to try and, like, meet people or? Oh, okay. So, I mean, when it was crew, um, I had certainly gone in there on numerous occasions. Like, usually when it was like, a friend's birthday, um, the church actually had a uh, Christmas carol sing-along there a few times. Um, 
but it's not somewhere that I had ever gone like to try to meet new people. Um, and that's partly because I'm really not like a bar scene sort of person to start with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would rather, I'm not the best of a drinker, and I really like to when people what they're drunk. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm like, okay, well, since I'm trying to meet somebody who isn't trying to get drunk during their off hours, um, then maybe this is not the place for that. Yeah. So, I mean, it would be awesome if we had more, like, queer coffee shops and um, bookstores and things like that where those of us who are not really trying to meet people through partying. So then at the time, I, I thought it was a great place um it's honest because that was the only place that i was aware of and when that's the only option you have to find and be with people who are like you you know that common denominator we're all gay we're all non-heterosexuals um that is where you can be you and that just really brings people together um and so that was, it, it was great. It was. Um, now that I am older, so now we're, and we're talking, I used to sneak into the bar, like at 18, 19 years old. Because mm-hmm. um, to my, not, I think they would hold like once a month, they would do a 18 and over bar night um, at the time, but always. Um, I, I would just go in because I knew the bouncer and I just would have big X's put on my hand. So that way I couldn't purchase alcohol. Um, like that's just where I went and because it was available to me, but now as an older adult, I realized actually crew was an extremely toxic area. Um, there was a lot of drugs in crew, um, but also uh, drugs are a vicarious part of the community. Um, when, you know, when you aren't getting that love and affection from your family that you crave so deeply, what do you do to numb the pain? You know, a lot of people turn to sex and drugs or you don't have any money money and what do all the old gays want they want sex mm-hmm. you charge for sex um you, you know things like that so now that i'm older i realize there was a large majority of toxicity at crew and i'm not saying that that's just crew um i can tell you stories that you probably are well aware of and or have possibly experienced it yourself at all the bars up in Akron. Um, there are, that, that's the other thing, like a lot of people do not realize um, drag bars are a wonderful place to run a drug operation. And it's purely because when, when is the best time to run the drug, drug operation? When the queen has everyone's attention. So when the queen is up performing, that's when you're running the eight kilos, you know, running your dime bags. That's when you do it. When you're serving your underaged 
drinkers right. to keep them coming. It, it, when you think about it, it's a wonderful business model. It really is. <laughs> it, it, it's, is it a good one? Yeah. Is it an effective one? Yeah. But is it morally and ethically viable? No. And that was one of the main things that stopped me um, from going to crew after a while. The other thing was because Canton is such a close-knit gay community, um, that's the other thing. When you become, you can be the youngest, cutest-looking guy out there, but at the time, there was still such a stigma about being a drag queen. But the moment you mentioned that you're a drag queen or or they realize, oh, wait, you were the girl who just performed, you're nothing to people. Like, we used to, in, in the ones that you would attract, we used to call them panty sniffers um, because they, they were literally, they just had a type and it was drag queens and that's all they want from you. And then they wanted sex while you were in, we used to say, you know, having sex while you're in full geesh, you know, it, it's just how it was. And so to get that attraction from such a close knit community, it kind of drove me away. Um, so yeah, I ended up, that's whenever I started to migrate up towards Akron, I was, um, lucky enough that I came in on an open night. Um, for the drag show and there happened to be a queen who was the show director of it and she was like hey I've got an open spot I guarantee you you can make trip double triple your tips come on up bring two songs two outfits and a walk around outfit um, I'll also toss in 20 bucks for gas and, and that's when I went. That's when I started going up to Akron and started off at Interbell. And then I actually became the show director um, at the original Cocktails. Oh, um, wow. Which, which was the first. Um, Cocktails and Terry's were the first two gay bars in Akron. Oh, wow. That's really awesome. Yeah. And I was, um, I've, I've sat and I've judged multiple pageants up at Terry's, Cocktails, Interbell. Um, I'm a, I am a, a former title holder in a large majority of the bars up there. Um, and also I've competed at state, competed at um, nationals too. So it's just, yeah, no. But Canton is an extremely toxic place. And, um, oh, I went back home one time, probably what would have been 2015, 2016. Um, and I went back to crew cause I had some friends who happened to be home and they're like, Oh wait, Oh, you finally came out. And, and I was like, Oh yeah. And they're like, Oh, we always knew. And I'm like, well, why the fuck didn't you tell me? <laughs> um, you, you know, I think anyone who's gay kind of has that, yeah. you know, little comment. Well, if you knew, why the fuck didn't you tell me? Um, but they were like, Oh yeah, no, we're all meeting down at crew. And I went down to crew and I'm like, and I had actually just started being a flight attendant at the time. So I had, um, been to gay bars all over the East coast. And now at this point, I'm like, wow, 
crew's a shithole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, when you've been to drag bars in New York City and Miami, and, or, and then also, because, you know, we fly in our free time, I've gone to, you know, Broadway-style, sh- actual Broadway-style shows where Broadway stars come and perform in... You know, you know, like in Hoboken, to get away from all of the glitz and glamour of New York City, they're yeah. all performing in Hoboken, and and then you find out who it is, and you're just like, holy shit! Like, <laughs> or then you get the celebrities out there, like Adina Menzel, constantly goes out to the Monkey Fist up in New Jersey, um, or then you know, I've got to see, uh, I've. I went to the first gay bar in Las Vegas, the Piranha. I've gotten to party there. Um, so, yeah, it's, when, when you come back and realize, wow, I grew up in this tiny little town that had one gay bar, and this is all I had, it, and, but also at the same time, when you were going to crew, you thought you were the shit. Like, that's just what you were. You thought you were good shit. And then, that's, those are the people who never then went to Akron. Yeah. Too. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I have never been there, but I, um, what I heard was that it was reimagined in a way that is more inclusive, that the crew was like, um, I don't know, a, uh, a, a gay bar that, um, was very focused on LGBTQ community, but that when they changed it, I don't know, did it change ownership or it just reopened under a new it name? It just reopened under a new yeah. name. Yeah, and I, and what I, what I kind of understood from what was told me is that they were trying to be, to open it to a wider audience. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know why it isn't. I mean, I, so I grew up in a very, uh, like conservative Mennonite home. So right. even going to the bar was like, oh, that's forbidden. Or yeah. <laughs> so it, it hasn't been until later in life that um, that I that would actually appeal to me. Right. Um, and that I would acknowledge that that would be something that I would enjoy doing. And I, I would actually go there. I And if it's not exactly what I'm looking for, I mean, for me, in a, in a friendship, I really... I'm not just looking to hook up. I'm actually, I really enjoy sort of connection, the intimacy part of, of a relationship. And sometimes a place, I mean, when you say gay bar, it's often looked at as a place to hook up, like where, mm-hmm. like if someone's coming to town or whatever. And I, I understand that. And that it's good to have a place for that. But for me, like there's a new game, the gaming room that's opened up. Yeah, yeah. For me, that would be a place where I would be, I would feel much more comfortable where you're having like conversations and getting to know people in a way that's not just about anonymous sex or something. Right. So I remember when I first heard that Crew was closing, I was really upset because it felt like the one place in Canton that queer people had to go to um was gone and so it felt like 
I don't know, like, I didn't know what to do. Um, I'd only gone there a handful of times, but it was like, you know, that's the place that I wanted to go and I wanted to like make my own because I felt like I could. Um, but my experiences there were never great. So I feel like I was always kind of just glamorizing it um, because I wanted it to be something great because I'd always heard about like the legacies of gay bars, you know, we talk about Stonewall and, you know, the 50s and 60s when gay bars were the hot thing and like everyone goes to them and I just like wanted that experience but that just doesn't really exist yeah. anymore I mean being LGBT there's always a sense of not being completely safe except for those safe spaces <laughs> so uh gay bars you know that's where you hear about the queer transcendence or gay euphoria is when you have that complete need to not need to think about who you are, how you're presenting yourself and, you know, being your authentic self. So with crew closing, it's pretty sad. And I kind of hate like the suggestion that straight bars are more accepting now. So that, that's killing gay bars. I think we're just I think LGBT and Canton, small cities and even big cities, like they're still poor. <laughs> they can't yeah. afford to go out to the bars. Uh, we just, with inflation, are just less than they used to be. So, you know, LGBT is already most likely to be impoverished and they still are with a bigger wealth gap. Because um, I think I don't, I've never met someone who is queer that was like, oh, I don't need a gay bar because I feel accepted at straight bars. From what I've heard, it's always like, at least you have that one place that's guaranteed the space for you. So, yeah. But I feel like also a reason is just because people don't want a space that's centered around drinking. Even though you could go to crew and not drink, it's still that atmosphere, that vibe that opens at night, closes at 2 a.m. kind of thing. You know, they have pool tables in there, dance floor. So, like, people are looking for more than that now. People are looking for, like, coffee shops, like, bookstores, you know, those things that only exist in the big cities. And even now, they don't really exist anymore in the big cities anyways. So because of gentrification so like people are looking for that as well and even though we have crew they're not going there because it isn't enough it's not what they want or um epidemic probably did a big hit to the scene yeah probably because work is on Terry avenue and that's been notoriously known as where drug trafficking in Canton goes down. So, and I know some of the people we listened to talked about how there's always selling at the bar uh, distractions so they could make their runs or things like that. And that's pretty true. And that's why, like, you're way more likely to be exposed to, like, drug addiction and selling yourself in Canton if you're gay. So I've seen people I know. So, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's smaller cities that are deindustrializing, especially like here in the Rust Belt, where there's not many other options. Like, 
a lot of people turn to drugs. That's why like the opioid epidemic is so big here. I feel like it's like that in a lot of other smaller cities. So like, I feel like that, I mean, it's hit hard a lot of industries in Canton, not just the gay bar. So I feel like that would make sense that that played a big, a big role in it. Yeah. It feels like in a way, the gay community here in Canton have become more vulnerable in recent years. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, work, it's, I mean, it's a place to go where you're starting to question, I guess. And then every time you go, there's a bunch of older people and you're not, you never usually meet someone your age. And it was Jeremiah met a lot of people because, you know, he worked there, so he was there every day. But um, it is the same, like, couple of older men that are there and they're usually on the prowl or whatever, uh, some young guys coming in. So, yeah, it's like the regulars go there and then the people just passing through who maybe are just visiting Canton or are experimenting going there, that kind of thing, which I think is pretty common. I mean, like, that was kind of like, that used to be the thing for gay bars, that young men could go there, meet older men who could teach them the ways about, like, how to be a gay person and, like, how to fit in and that kind of thing. And I mean, like, the gay culture is very predicated on older men having sex with younger men. Like, that's a big part of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't think Stanley's going to change how he runs the bar. I mean, just from seeing it since moving back to Canton. Uh, Because when I was younger, you know, it's just like some of the other people you interviewed. You know, I also used to sneak into the bar, the big ID or something. And now coming back as like a legal adult, <laughs> it's even more dead now. And I kind of see like, you know, because I lived in Atlanta for a couple of years. So there's a lot more gay life happening there. And just seeing how the bar is ran in Canton, there's nothing online. It's not with today. I mean, they use a jukebox that you have to pay for if you want to play music. And then if there's no one playing music that they're paying for, the music just cuts to silence. <laughs> and whoever's bartending puts on some country, like, why am I hearing country at a gay bar in Canton? Like, so it's just not a scene that's fun or lively. Yeah. So it's kind of stuck to its ways. I feel like also, like Jeremiah was saying, like the stigma about drama, drinking, drugs, hooking up, that has hurt the bar. And like some of that is just, you know, stigma about gay bars in general, like being dramaful, having just being about drinking, like being about drugs and hooking up. But then like we've heard accounts from our interviewees that those things were mainly what the bar was about. So that stigma, it's hard to get rid of. Um, drugs or anything like that is a big thing in the gay community. 
so, I mean, that's not surprising at all that, I mean, now with people getting educated on drug addiction, things like that, and um, being aware of signs and being more careful about youth, it's probably come less popular in the community, but um, that was just always a route to turn to. I mean, I heard growing up about, you know, doing drugs, selling yourself, uh, which parks that was happening at. So it's definitely just LGBT culture is changing. Yeah. And work doesn't want to work that change. Yeah. Yeah. And I think another big thing is just like people go to Akron instead because they have five plus gay bars to choose from. They don't need to just have the one in Canton. They can go to Akron. Well, it's so much younger yeah. than Akron. Like Highland Park is all like people young in their 20s. Um, it's very up and coming area. So, I mean, yeah, Canton just feels old and everyone knows it's old. So it's just kind of stagnant right now. Yeah. Yeah. And just like people move away from Canton, like queer people are leaving because it, it's not a good place to live if you're gay. It's not like the top 100 places to move if you're gay. So I feel like a lot of queer people just move away, which is what we tried to do and now we're back and what a lot of our friends tried to do and now they're back. Mm -hmm. So now we have to work on building because the community exists. It's just not mobilized. Like people aren't getting together and like being a community. It's just individuals at this point. Yeah. So even thus then, it's, um, I don't find it an LGBT space. Like, it's still vast majority always straight people, cisheads. So. But I would so much prefer to go there than go to work. Yeah. So, So you can see, like, we would rather go to a straight bar than a gay bar. That's how bad work is I guess I don't know. Stanley wasn't racist <laughs> I would still probably choose to go to work because I like the guarantee of like this is a queer space yeah so um yeah but their drinks suck and the music the sucks the drinks suck. the atmosphere sucks yeah so I mean they do not have a full bar at work little alone, they don't have a kitchen so there's no food ever so they have to abide to like stricter standards because they don't serve food so they don't get the food and alcohol policies so it is just it's, you would expect a full bar so there's not going to be food mm-hmm. and so they don't even have orange juice yeah as for it's a tequila sunrise over the summer and they're like can't do that for you Okay, can I have this and ginger ale? We don't have ginger ale. Okay, give me your rum and coke. <laughs> Very traditional. So basically what we've boiled it down to is some of the reasons work is 
not doing so well. And, you know, maybe why gay bars and smaller cities in general aren't doing so well are online ways of meeting people are becoming more popular. Straight spaces have become more accepting and more appealing, especially ones with drag shows. Gentrification, which means that the poorer people, um, which usually gay people in small cities are the poorer folks in the in the community. They can't afford to go to gay bars anymore. There's stigma about drama, drinking, drugs, hookup culture, and that's all the bars are about which steers people away, especially the people who grew up religious, which is common um, in the Midwest and smaller towns. People go to Akron, which is a slightly bigger city instead because there's more people, more variety of people, more options for people to choose from. And then, you know, the older generation has different ideas about what they want in a space than what the younger generation has. So like we've been talking about with work, it's kind of still in the older days. It's not changing with the times. So younger people aren't going there, which means they're losing out on a whole host of people that could be, you know, paying for drinks and that sort of thing. And then also in smaller cities and especially in Canton, there's a dwindling queer community because people don't want to stay here because of the hostility the lack of resources, the lack of spaces for them to go to. So people are leaving and that means there's not enough people to keep work alive. So those are some of the things that are happening in Canton, but also happening all over the United States with gay bars in smaller cities, especially in conservative areas. So hopefully we can see work survive and maybe work out some of its kinks and maybe not, but if not, maybe there will be a new gay bar that opens. So here's hoping. So what originally sparked my interest in the topic of gay bars in Canton was stories I've been hearing all summer about the history of gay bars here. Apparently there used to be 10 plus gay bars in Canton at one time. So I wanted to uncover this history. Although I didn't have the time to dig as deep as I wanted to into the history, I got to ask some of my interviewees some questions about it, and here's what I found out. Well, when I grew up, um, I was 16 and had my license, and after football games, I went to Fairless, and after the football games, um, I would drive to the crew. Or, no, sorry what was called Dar's Bar, it was a lesbian bar. And of course, I drink Coke. And um, so I go in there, and then the boardwalk opened, oh, in what, 1992, I think, or 93? And I had gone there for a while. But again, I never drank, I drank sodas. But um, yeah, and then, what, a couple years ago, there were hardly no gay bars here in the Canton area. Um, the crew was it. Yeah. Yeah, the one down the, down the street from the crew. Um, what was that called? I'm trying to think. It was it. There were, well, actually, when I was younger, younger, there was the 704. Oh, cool. Which, 
all kind of LGBT people went there. I was like, it was when I was like 17, 18. Yeah. And then it closed, um, which was in the Canton, like downtown Cantonish area. I think it was on High Street. Um, there was also the Boardwalk, which was another bar. Um, and then that bar that was right by the crew, we used to walk back and forth. I wish I could think of that name of it. Um, but it was downtown. It was only open for, I would say, like a couple years. Yeah. I mean, it probably was in 2000, I don't know, 11. 12, maybe even 13, but by then it was closed. Um, I'll have to think of the name and message it to you. But that was down the street from the crew, and those were all, like, LGBT, you know, friendly bars. Uh, other than that, like, up in the Akron area, you know what I mean, you have a whole lot. Like, they had Ro- Rosie's, mm-hmm. um, Interbell. Like, the Akron area is a lot. Adam Street, I think I, I think it's Adam Street, or the square. Um, I've been to Adam Street before. But down here, there's just not a lot. Yeah. But yeah, so basically there's three spots. The most recent, the, the big 90 spot, that was um, the boardwalk. Okay. You know when you're coming up Tusk and you're about to get into downtown Canton? And yeah. And that really, really hood-looking building. That's a big bell store. Oh, Yeah. It's like right after the train tracks or something, or right before one or the other. Gotcha. That is where the boardwalk was. It had this big pink sign. Um, And I remember I asked my cousins once, what's there? Because it looks so pretty. And um, my cousin was like, oh, nothing, nothing. And then my other cousin was like making jokes about going there as if it would be like a laughing game going there. Um, but then I learned later that it was a gay bar and, um, it had a really great head scene. Um, it was definitely a little rougher. It was a rougher crowd. Everyone there, I mean, in the 90s, you were out, you were tough, you know, like, this is how it was in Ohio, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so basically, so there was the boardwalk. And then before that, in the 80s, there was this place called Dillinger's. In the 60s and 70s, there was a bar in the place that the Imperial Room is now. And um, my theater director at Perry High School, you know, a similar story to any gay bar during the 60s, but they, they were actually there during some raids by the police. Oh, wow. So they can actually give you an eyewitness account of actual raids from the police in Canton, Ohio. So, that was interesting to hear, just a snippet of history of gay bars in Canton. Um, It's definitely not an exhaustive list, but I've been able to piece together some of the history. Um, what did you think about it, Kirsten? Yeah, it was, um, it's, it's crazy to hear that there used to be more gay bars. Um, and you would expect like there'd be more, you know, if progress has been made, but you know, we've actually seen a witness decline. And growing up, I never knew that there were more gay bars out in Canton. 
So I only knew of crew in high school because at that time, that's, I guess that's all there was. But um, yeah, it's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, I never thought that there would be any gay bars in Canton because I just knew it as this really, really conservative place. And then thinking about now how conservative Canton is, like, 10, 20, 30 years ago, there was even more gay bars. Like, that was shocking to me. Shocking. But it's, it makes me hopeful because, like, there could be, and maybe there is currently a community here that is waiting for that and could help that thrive again. But I just don't know how to get there. <laughs> places. Yeah. Back up. Just moving back, I I was so shocked to meet how many closeted kids um, that there's so many I did not expect it. It was just kind of real sad. Yeah. So and there's no spaces for them to be confident. And who they are. Um, so one day we that we can have that back. Yeah, and it's interesting because a couple of my interviewees kept mentioning that like nowadays kids just come out all the time and like it's a normal thing to do. But I feel like from our experience, I mean we weren't we were in high school four years ago and I barely knew anybody out. I knew maybe one person who was out in high school. And so, like, it seems like really not a lot has changed. Yeah, rolling out is a new word, you know. Uh, usually gender non-conforming, so they couldn't really hide their sexuality. Yeah. And they just got bullied to shit. So, yeah. uh, I feel like nowadays there's, like, gay cliques at yeah. schools but uh that didn't exist when i was there yeah so i don't know lots changed in the past couple of years yeah things have changed but i don't think they've changed that much like now we have a gsa but i don't think there's like an overwhelming amount of people out at my high school you know because there's still that tension of the conservative people who will always make fun of the kids who come out. Yeah, and the school doesn't protect LGBT kids. Yeah. Um, so. And if they get kicked out of their houses here, which we heard in a lot of the coming out stories that we listened to, that like a couple of my interviewees have gotten kicked out of their homes for being queer. And there's no place for them to go here. Like in bigger cities, they have LGBT youth homeless centers but mm -hmm. here we don't really have that so you can maybe go to a homeless center and then get have fear of being kicked out there too because you're queer yeah so there's just not that we need resources here which leads me to the next thing you know since bars are the only designated space for queer people in Canton, that means that there's not many other ways for queer folks to meet each other. So there are also not many resources here for queer people, in my experience at least. So here's what my interviewees had to say about their experiences with queer resources in Canton. 
really love my adopter up in Akron. Yeah. Uh, but we do have, um, and we are starting trying to expand this across Canton through Altman. We have Dr. Godlewski, and um, she works with a psychologist. I can't remember if she's the psychologist or the doctor, but she'll do HRT. She'll do, they'll do trans psychologist, uh, psychiatry. And um, I think that's really important. But that's yeah. really the only organization. And I don't believe that, like, Coleman or Phoenix Rising or any of the other, like, free. Yeah. Or income-based programs actually have any queer-specific, tailored programs. Programs, which I would mm-hmm. love to see more of. Yeah. I've had people that were very accepting as my doctors. But, you know, that's in the, up to the individual. Hospital care. I'll, I'll have someone drive me to Green rather than to Alban or Mercy. I've been treated like absolute shit both at Alman and Mercy. Yeah. And as have many of my trans friends. Um, but like mental health care and healthcare specifically, I prefer Akron. I do prefer the scene down here though. Well, it depends on what the specific resource is. Um, as far as like queer affirming doctors, that, like my experience at Planned Parenthood here has been very good. Um, as far as like family practitioners and whatnot, that hasn't been as queer affirming in my experience so if I were looking for a GP I would probably be looking more towards um, Akron or Cleveland. I usually go elsewhere. Um, actually my fiance and I are trying to have another baby and so we went to reproductive gynecology which my um, sister-in-law and brother are using and they, they seem fine, you know, but when we went there, they have a Canton office. They're based out of Akron, I believe, but they have a Canton office. And we went to the Canton office, and one of the questions I asked them was, you know, both of us have been looking for an LGBT-friendly, um, just like regular, like uh, like OBGYN, yeah. you know, like a regular someone to do like a pap smear. <laughs> like, can we find somebody like that? Or And they really had no recommendations for us. Oh, wow. Um, so the one girl that was there the day we went in a couple months ago, she's like in her residency or, you know, whatever the doctor term is. So she said she's doing them right now. Like she's just doing little stuff like, uh, you know, people's regular checkups and STD checkups and stuff um, over there by Altman, like Altman Community Health Center. Right. So she's like, it's not really nice in there. It's more for people that are low income and stuff. But she's like, I'm, I'm LGBT friendly and I would be willing to do, you know. So we literally got her number. Um, and I guess other than that, Planned Parenthood, I've used, um, in Canton multiple times. Um, we, you know, I got a pamphlet at the Reproductive Gynecology in Akron a couple weeks ago. Um, it's through, um, Suma Health. They have like an LGBT, like inclusive center. And I called them when I was up there in Akron to see if they had anybody or like if they did reproductive gynecology, you know, specifically for LGBT people. And he said, no, they're pretty much just like, you go there for initial appointment and they help you find somebody that's, you know, yeah, like uh, gender affirming, you know what I mean? Like somebody like that. So they kind of hook you up with them. Yeah. Pretty much the resources that I get or that I go to Pride every year. So when we go to Pride and I go to the Akron Pride, yeah. now that it's around, you know, there's all kinds of booths set up with information about health insurance, um, like Equitas Health that's in the area that helps people that have HIV and AIDS um, get housing and things like that. So that's where I get my information. Um, it, or uh, I guess a place, PFLAG um, in Akron. And then also like there's a there's a, a trans, kind of like a trans support group out of Medina. But as far as Stark County goes, there's really like not – I mean, there's just not a lot. You pretty much have to leave the yeah. county and go up to Akron to find, you know what I mean, like any place that you can find resources.
I would say they're non-existent in camp. Just completely nil, non-existent. Um, in Stark County, there were a couple high schools that had a gay-free alliance when I started mine at Perry. Um, I would say it's about probably 70-30 now. High schools have gay-free alliance. I would hope that's a that's a good ball in the dark. Um, even, you know, as far as guidance counselors in high school, you really had to get lucky. Like, some of them were just older and didn't care about your gay struggle at all and didn't really believe that they existed either. Um, as far as teachers, I had to get several teachers fired. Um, like, it's just, it's definitely, you have to painfully uh, search out any kind of support that you're going to get. In Akron, there are a little bit. Um, I would say uh, Seth State, if that's the only thing in Canton, they have gays for the lines. That's the only real real resource anyone has is at a collegiate level. Yeah. Um, And then I would say in Akron, there are a couple things. There's like a P-Flag group in Akron. Um, there's a Glisten chapter that's out of Akron that I was a really great resource for me when I was starting my case from Goliath. Um, Good question. So I actually, I've done the Google search and I've, I've actually interviewed some counselors um, when I was looking for my counselor. I actually ended up going to Akron. I, it's, it's, it's tough. Um, and I think part of it is because the community in Canton is so small, some people just want to have a counselor outside of the community. Yeah. <laughs> um, but other people don't have access to transportation or that type of thing. So I know it's, it's, it's definitely lacking in some ways. One new um, space, and I'm not sure what all they offer currently, but there's a I don't know, it's a number, 401 Wellness or 501 Wellness or something. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. So it's just down from Delhi, Ohio. Oh, cool. Um, and it's, they have, they have a massage therapist in there. They have um, a woman who does like sound baths and yoga and that type of thing. They have a big space for group centered activities. The guy I do Qigong with, he actually is actually going to be start doing uh, classes there. That whole space, I believe everybody that would be in there would be very affirming. Awesome. That's really cool. Um, yeah. So, Karsten, what have your experiences been like with resources for queer folks like us in Canton? Non-existent? <laughs> I think I've I guess Planned Parenthood, but I mean, I only started using Planned Parenthood because of, of for, I don't know, pro-choice clinic. So, you know, Planned Parenthood was like a safe choice on that. Um, but yeah, there are no resources here, especially compared to Akron. Akron has a lot. Um, there's nothing there. Yeah, there's nothing here. So. Yeah. I know we have Transcend, which one of the interviewees mentioned, which is the trans support group. Um, But I think that's literally it. 
in terms of like resources here in Canton? I mean, other than the things that the kind of like underground things that some of the interviewees mentioned, which were really great, like tidbits, I guess, tips even like to give people the kind of things that you know from living here for a long time, like who is safe and who isn't, but not a lot of public resources um, that we see in Akron, which we see like Equitas Health, there's a community center, there's a queer food bank, there's what else? There's so many things. I don't know. There's just so many things, um, but not as much here in Canton. So now, finally, how can we get LGBTQ plus folks to want to live in Canton? That's the question. So I asked my interviewees, and let's hear some of their ideas. So I think we need a little more like visible support. We need community support. There is no community support there. Um, there is no gay pride flag. There is no gay pride. There is no LGBT community center. There is um, no thriving gay bar. Like it needs, it needs a gay scene. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean just bars. That really is like communal events. And uh, like you know, on the, the Ohio Community Coalition, we saw what community events can really accomplish in a community. It builds relationships, it, you know, breaks down walls, it has difficult conversations, like it's so beneficial to just do those community events um, to establish that bond within the community. Like, it's so impactful. And that there really isn't that for gay people. I think that really, like, in a place like the Midwest, it's, you know, it's our job to see a lack of places we can go and go to the places that already exist and establish that as a place. Yeah. Like go to Muggs Wigs and say, can we have a queer poetry night? Go to, you know, Oracle and say, hey, can we have a queer dance night? I know you already do the drag thing, but we would like a queer dance night as well. Because I know you already have dance night, but we would like a queer dance night. Um, and really like take the time to explain why that would be beneficial to have that differentiation in between the two dance nights and why it would you know, be impactful and stuff like that. And uh, you know, maybe have like one thing that I wanted to do that I was gonna hopefully do over the summer, but I didn't get the chance to organize it because of COVID, uh, was an all restaurant drag night um, where like, every bar got involved with drag somehow so like george's would have someone behind the bar in drag or someone doing get up comedy you know and then buzzman would have their speech drag and oracle would have their like you know their style of drag and then like crew would have their thing um angry avocado that's no longer there um, whatever that's going to be would be some kind of like Latin inspired drag, you know, like it would all, each one would have a theme, it would be like a fun thing that I think a lot of people would go to, um, and would also gain a lot of like queer visibility that would bleed over into other communities. Well, one of the things that I think that 
Canton has that other parts of the area don't like, and I mean, I mean like Perry area, Maslin, the small little sections are, um, there's only, there's no, uh, protection against housing discrimination for mm-hmm. LGBT people in Stark County. So when my ex and I were looking for a place to rent a few years ago, maybe four or five years ago, we actually didn't get rented to at a um, house because we were a gay couple. Oh, like wow. we knew that they acted weird towards us. Even my Italian grandma picked up on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was very obvious. We had the money that dude wouldn't call us back once we showed up there. So it was very, that was hard. And then, you know, coming to find out, you know, Kansas City itself has protections for LGBT people with housing. But Perry doesn't, you know, Plain Township doesn't. If you're not in the city of Canton, there's nothing protecting you. So I think that's hard for a lot of people. Um, and I think, like, specific workplaces having, you know, now it's national. You know what I mean? LGBT, you can't discriminate against somebody for the sexual orientation or gender expression. But, um, you know, when you go to apply for jobs, not seeing that on the application is something they don't discriminate against you for. Um, that's hard. I think that having more, like, something like PFLAG in the area would be, you know, helpful to people, especially counseling centers. There's not a lot of LGBT-inclusive counseling um, agencies. When my ex and I were together and we were still, you know, trying to keep the relationship going, try to figure out a way to work, we went to couples counseling. And the only place that we could find in the area that had people that said that they were like LGBT inclusive was the relationship center in North Canton. So, um, just things like that, like knowing that you can go somewhere to deal with your mental health or to get counseling, whether it's for yourself or a couple, and you know that you're not going to be treated you know, differently. Yeah. Um, it, it, that, that's big. So I think like basic things that a lot of people just don't really think about is, is big. I mean, I have friends that live in the Columbus area and they have, there's like um, places to look for suits, you know, for weddings that are specifically designed for like women's bodies, but prefer men's clothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. We don't have things like that. There's right. just not, you know what I mean? It's just simple things like that. It's just, I, I don't know if people feel like if there's no market for it, that's why they don't come here. Yeah. But I think, yeah, a lot of people, like, they just go to Columbus and they go to Cleveland for that kind of thing. And then, yeah, so I think that if things like that were around, I think it would help people a lot and make them feel more, you know what I mean, just more seen. Yes, for sure. I mean, I had a friend who was walking uh, to meet, meet up with me the one day. He's like, yeah, on the way home, on the way back from my house, or on the way from my house, you know, some dude, some, some, uh, like, teenagers walk by, and they're like, oh, faggot, you know, throwing the officer around, so, like, that kind of thing isn't great. Um, honestly, I guess, I don't know, I guess right now it's tough because of, like, the limitations, but, I mean, I don't know that I've ever felt outright discrimination. Yeah. I'd say some of the local businesses need to really step up their game in sensitivity training and being more politically correct and not, uh, I worked at a place that he's like, fuck political correctness. I don't care. Um, the only reason I'm respecting your pronouns is cause I don't want a lawsuit. And I mean, that's not a great look like better. Um, I'd say more queer owned businesses and better, uh, like the businesses that do exist better interactions. Um, yeah, um, I think that the idea that we could have, um, like, the, the, the fact that so many queer folks don't even think it's possible for us to have a pride event in Canton <laughs> tells me a lot about how 
people don't feel they can be their fullest authentic selves here, at least in, in public amongst each other. Uh, and mind you, my, my church has been trying to get a Pride event started here, and we're going to have one in 2020. <laughs> and then it just, you know, with COVID and everything and the planning for that just got pushed back. So um, that's something that will hopefully be on the horizon, um, but it's definitely very surprising to some folks um, in this area who are, are queer, who just never thought that pride could possibly be a, re- be a reality here. Like they were surprised enough that it even happened in Akron. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> you're talking to the right and the wrong person about that. <laughs> so while I am a flight attendant, my background is actual um, political law policies and procedures. So like Canton could do a lot on the infrastructure wise to make sure that their community centers, their hospitals are um, equipped to handle queer individuals. Um, They could do a lot more in the sense of there, there isn't a lot just for people in general. Okay. Um, Going down in Canton South, you know, uh, other than that, on Route 800, other than that tiny little doctor's office right there, there are no GPs. There are, there are, there's no OBGYNs. You gotta go all the way to Canton City, or you gotta go up to North Canton. There's, there's one grocery store. You gotta go all the way out to West Tusk to, to go get groceries if you don't wanna go to the tiny little, you know, uh, market. Um, like just that in general would help more people stay there but for specifically queer individuals a lot of the systemic racism and the discrimination needs to just go Canton does need a lot for queer individuals but to, to do that we cannot negate uh, the, the people of color, the, the, you know, the biopic group, the, the black indigenous people of color, women, uh, can't lack a lot more than just queer people, but uh, for queer people in general, if the, let's take uh, Kent State Stark and Stark State uh, University to, if they're, if they're LGBTQ groups could actively start working more and be out in the community's eye. If um, these schools, um, I would have to look it up, but it would not surprise me if there is not a gay straight alliance, or it would not surprise me at all to find out that there is no gay straight alliance at Canton South High School. Yeah. Um, um, I remember. <laughs> I remember one drunk night at crew i met this cute little guy and i found out that he was actually a senior at perry and he was out celebrating because he had just got approval from the principal at perry um to start a gsa oh my gosh i know Uh, him so that's so funny (laughs) oh so you know jeremiah yeah i just interviewed him uh at two o'clock today yes Yes. So, I mean, I, I remember that. that. That would have been about 2012, 2013, probably, if I had to try and put a tag on it. Um, so, 
but yeah, like if if Canton South could start to mimic a lot of what Perry honestly is doing, um, but even mimicking a lot of what Jackson and Glen Oak yeah. is doing and how, um, whereas, you know, every school district has their issues and you being a product of Jackson, you, you would be better to talk about that than me. But, um, you know, I can honestly say looking at it from the outside in, you guys have, you, you guys as students had much more available to you counselors wise, um, you know, liberal resources, um, community resources than what we had down in Canton. Um, we also Canton, um, an, another major issue with Canton is because a uh, majority of the population is so old, you know, their kids aren't in school anymore. So they're like, well, why should I vote for a levy if I, you know, my kids aren't in school. Right. Uh, it, but those, those levies are what funds social programs. Um, but, but teaching, you know, queer history in school, you know, learning about Marsha Johnson, you know, learning about people like that. I never did. Yeah. Um, I also, I remember I had one queer teacher in high school, uh, Wyatt Monteith. And I remember my honors English class specifically was so horrible to him. He left halfway through the school year because he was one of those, you could tell he was gay. Like there was no question about it. Like he, he tried his hardest to hide it. There's no way to tell that he would. Yeah. Yeah. You couldn't like, you could tell so hard that he tried. And now being an out, gay adult now i would love nothing more than to you know figure out some way to contact him and be like hey i'm sorry like i'm sorry for all the shit my class puts you through um yeah it's just things like that like if canton could provide good queer education in a safe queer place a place that does not crew that revolves around drugs and sex traffic. I definitely want, like, a queer coffee shop, a queer bookstore, um, like, maybe a queer restaurant, just, like, places to hang out that are queer and not a bar. But, like, maybe still serve alcohol. But maybe serve coffee. I don't I love coffee. Have some vegan food in there. It's perfect. But those are definitely, I want those. And then I also want all the services as well. Like, especially, like, queer, like, OBGYNs. And queer um, therapists as well. That's very important. Yeah, I just think that a lot, there's a lot of gay infrastructure that needs to be built here. But it's like, with the attitudes being so conservative and not very gay friendly, I wonder how well those things would do here. Like, do you think they would get used or do you think they would just be stigmatized?
It's going to go down route, not slippery. So, um, you know, the culture and castle, like drugs and partying and things like that. So, it tends to be a common thing that happens. Um, so, I think with more resources being available, uh, it will kind of kind of push away against from that kind of forced assimilation that we're kind of witnessing here, that it's okay if you're gay, as long as you don't talk about it. Um, you know, more straight bars are getting more accepting, more areas, but yet yeah, we can't have a pride event without people freaking out. So there's hope. Here's for gay can. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I think there's hope too. I think there's enough people that it could be successful. So now, just gotta test that theory. Yeah, I mean, there's things we can do to overcome, you know, the things we talked about. Like, there are things we can do to overcome why, um, you know, crew is closing. Crew and work are not doing well. They're not getting as much attention as they used to. There's definitely things that we can do to change that. So I think that's the next step is just to try and overcome those things and change the things we can. Yeah, there's not a lot of ways people can find community anymore, but we've seen a long history of people having spaces in Canton, potentially having underground resources for each other in Canton, and we don't have that anymore. And you know, a lot of those reasons are, you know, the changing times with things being more online, assimilation being a more um, thing. These people are coming out and so now they're assimilating. Um, gentrification, another reason, dwindling community, people leaving, and just the population of Canada in general, stigma about queer bars especially and the ones we have in Canton you know people going to bigger cities instead older generation not having the same ideas of how they want to build community as the younger generation does so all of these things just culminate into what we see in Canton today so those are the things that you know, we can work to overcome with all the uplifting and hopeful thoughts we heard from our interviewees at the end of this podcast. So that is it for my capstone. Thanks for listening, and hopefully I graduate.